say like everybody should expect to get ripped off. But what I do now is I don't really worry about getting ripped off. I just make sure that I have a copy of their driver's license. So I have an address mm. and a contract that clearly outlines the terms. And now I'm not chasing anybody if they run off. I'm just suing because I have their address, their physical address where I can serve them. And I have the contract. So you're just Okay, welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. I am so excited to welcome Ashley Hamilton from Detroit. She's a real estate investor, a real estate agent, a certified hard money lender, and she also owns a property management company. She's done hundreds of renovations, owns over 35 properties. And when I first listened to Ashley's story, it was amazing. She started her investing career as a single mom, supporting two kids, making $265 an hour and only $20,000 a year. But she persevered, and in 2009, she bought her first rental, and she was also featured on a Bigger Pockets episode, uh, episode 331 and 674, and she holds the place for one of the top 10 most downloaded episodes. So I am so excited to welcome Ashley on to the show today. I got my friend, Dane Connolly from Aspen Realty Co. as my guest co-host today. How are you doing, Dane? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, as always. I'm excited to, to meet Ashley. I love it. Ashley, welcome to the show. How are you doing Thank today? You. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Um, yes, I'm doing amazing. As you know, affordable housing is definitely a passion of mine. So super excited to dive in and thanks for having me again. I love it. So maybe let's get right into it, Ashley, because I, when I first heard your story, I was so inspired and I... I just feel blown away that you agreed to give us your time today to kind of come on to this podcast and share a story with the listeners. So let's maybe just start with just your background. How did you get started in real estate investing? And, you know, why did you even choose affordable housing in the beginning? Yes, absolutely. And again, thank you. So my name is Ashley Hamilton, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Um, growing up, we were uh, very, you know, we were less fortunate. So we weren't my family. I didn't come from a wealthy family. Um, and we lived in affordable housing. So we, my mom was on Section 8. And, um, you know, life was just normal for me. I didn't recognize that we were, you know, part of poor, you know, in poverty, because I still had the basic necessities. But what I did notice is that my art, my house looked like my house was the worst house on the block. Typically, always, it's like you could tell that we were in Section Eight housing because all the other houses looked better than ours, and it seemed like we were always getting like the bad houses in the good neighborhoods because we were on Section Eight. So I picked up on that early on, but just thought that's how it was, you know. Um, so fast forward um, to 2009, I found myself as a single mother of two kids under six. I was working as a waitress um, at Red Lobster, making $2.65 an hour, which averaged about $20,000 a year. Um, I, I knew early on that I did not want my kids to experience what I went through, and I wanted to provide a better lifestyle for them. Um, but because my daughter was premature, um, she had to stay in the hospital for a couple months when she was born. So I also knew that whatever field that I got into, I needed to be able to have flexibility and freedom to spend time with my kids because I didn't want to pass her off to a daycare after she had just got out of the hospital, you know, um, being premature. So um, in 2009, when I was 23, I ended up here in a seminar for Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I went. It was a free, to, uh, like, three-hour event, and to be honest, everything was foreign to me because my mom never owned a home. My dad never owned a home. Nobody owned businesses. We were just really, you know, in poverty. So all of this was new, but I learned two phases in that seminar. And the two uh, phrases or two quotes was be greedy when others are fearful and be fearful when others are greedy. And then the second quote that I learned was been, be willing to spend a few years of your life living how most people won't so you can spend the rest of your life living how most people don't, right? <laughs> so the mortgage talk, the VA loans, the FHA, all that flew over my head. I didn't know none of that. All I knew is I needed to be greedy when other people are fearful and be fearful when other people are greedy and spend a couple years living how most people won't. So on the way home from the seminar, I heard it at don't buy properties in Detroit. Detroit is the worst. It's bankrupt. Everybody's talking about Detroit. I turn on TMZ. They're like, oh, you can pick up houses at the gift shop. Like everybody was running away from Detroit. 
So I was like, wait, this is the sign. Everybody is being cheerful of Detroit. So I need to be greedy and try to buy properties. So, uh, and I know that's like a long winded intro, but um, I didn't have any money, right? 20,000 a year is like less than 1200 a month plus rent and all that stuff. So I knew that, let me just, I called the first sign for sale sign that I seen. Cause that's all I see when I was riding home is for sale, for sale, foreclosure, HUD, yeah. bank owned. And I'm like, what is this? This is a sign. So I called the first listing and they said the property is $6,300. Like that's it. Not a down payment. Like that's it. So I said, well, I don't have it now, but I'm going to get my tax return in two weeks. Right. And because I'm a single mother with two kids, like anybody who listened to here, you know, like those tax returns are like, we're, we're planning on our tax returns in October, even though they don't come into February. So it's like the <laughs> highlight of the year when you're poor, like when you're poor, that's the most money you'll ever see. So I, I knew that I would get my tax return in two weeks. And I was like, if this house is still available, I'm going to buy it. And that's exactly what I did. And that's how I got my first property. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. What a story, Ashley. And I completely relate to what you said about the tax return because my entire family, my aunt and uncles are all the same way. They always talk about how much money to talk about tax returns, but no one ever really talked about real estate, just like, um, just like what you were talking about. So you got involved in buying your first home using your tax return wow props to that for taking advantage of the money that was coming to you and the resources that was available to you but why did you decide to do affordable housing um you bought the first property like what did you even know about affordable housing at that point in time and how, how did you make that decision to invest in affordable housing Right. Absolutely. So the affordable housing aspect came in a little bit later on. The first property was for me to live in because I was still living paycheck to paycheck. Um, so, yeah, so that was just the first house. But how I got into affordable housing is instantly um, I feel like a lot of people when they reach success or when they do something like a, a major milestone, like buy their first property or get a promotion at work. Um, I'm not going to say everybody, but a lot of times it changes people. Right. And I never wanted to be that way. So even though I essentially was breaking the, um, the curses of poverty and slowly but surely pulling my family out of poverty, I never forgot like where I came from and the experiences I had. So getting into affordable housing all stems from me living in affordable housing as a kid. And again, my mom and our house is always being noticeable. You know, it's like the, we could, I feel like it was obvious that we were, you know, getting some kind of assistance and that we weren't in the neighborhoods. So that always stuck to me. And I knew that um, even though my style and my, you know, style of investing is a little bit different, it's more on the higher inside. I still wanted to incorporate that with affordable housing. So what I was able to do was still, when I bought the houses, I still put the same amount of rehab and quality that I would if I was going to flip the property or rent it to a non-affordable housing person, but I go ahead and lease it to affordable housing. And the reason why I do that is because I don't want any kid to feel like I'm in a government house and I have the worst house on the block and everybody knows. I want them to feel like I belong here or I have nice things. Uh, I put granite in my properties. I put light up sinks and um, it's all stems from me and my growing up, if that makes sense. I feel like that that just has a heavy influence on me. <laughs> yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. It's so funny you mentioned rich dad, poor dad, because I was telling Kent <laughs> before the, the show, I just drove down from Columbus, Ohio, where I am down to Nashville, Tennessee, and back this weekend with my youngest son. Uh, I can't imagine having, uh, and he's a great kid, a teenager. So I can't imagine having two young ones and being a single parent. <laughs> like one weekend, I'm like, oh, I'm exhausted. <laughs> but I listened to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, about half of it, three quarters of it on the way down and back. Um, and so you're right. Like as soon as people get a little money in their pocket, they do what, like what the poor dad did was, well, he spent more and spent yeah. more and spent more. So, you know, props to you for, for, uh, you know, well, Dave Ramsey has a saying, live, live like no one else. So you can give like no one else. It, it probably stems from that, that book. Uh, also, that's great. Um, my, the, the way Kent and I got started, I think the first pod time I was on the podcast, my brother and I, uh, we just showed all of our scar tissue. People probably thought we had no idea what in the hell we were talking about because all we did was talk about all the mistakes that we made early on. 
I can't imagine. Well, so so tell us some of your experiences, uh, some of the mistakes you made, some of the the tuition, as I like to call it, that you paid by <laughs> screwing something up with that first property. What kind of shape was, was that? Was that house in bad shape? Uh, did it require a lot of money? And then as you grew your portfolio, what kind of mistakes that did you make where you learned, you know, a hard lesson, but and then hopefully, hopefully didn't make that mistake again. Tell show us, show us, uh, yeah, Ashley scar tissue, Detroit scar tissue. <laughs> yes, absolutely, and thank you for that. So, um, no, actually, and that's what it is. It's really misconception. So a lot of times we'll hear things on podcasts, on TV shows, and like, oh, Detroit is worse. We should invest there. I'm a, the type of investor, entrepreneur that always, that, that intrigues me. When everybody is running, I'm kind of going there. So I would say my biggest mistake was not buying more, uh, not educating myself earlier on and getting access to capital. Because again, these properties that were selling for 5,000, even my property, again, I bought it in 2009 for 6,300. It appraised at 125. Uh, in 2022, but not to mention I was making about nine grand a year off of it, you know, so <laughs> it's like um, the perception, right? So because I was able to pull back the layers and not just, you know, white, um, write it off because everybody was saying don't do it, that has really helped me. But also because when you hear $6,300 for a property, you're going to assume the roof is caving in the foundation. No, literally I moved in the home by just painting the home cleaning it up and putting some new carpet in. Um, there wasn't a ton of vacant properties. There was a nice park by it. It was uh, four or five houses off of Eight Mile, which that was the movie uh, with Eminem back then. So everybody knew Eight Mile. So I'm like, right. I'm close to Eight Mile. I got a park for the kids, you know, just some paint. So it, it took about three to $4,000 to move in. And then slowly but surely I upgraded things, but it wasn't as bad. So the mistake was, the good thing was, well, I didn't buy enough properties, but also my biggest mistakes all came from contractors, uh, paying them too much too soon. And they just walking off with the job off the um, at the job. So I would just say there were like headaches and growing pains, but it's really, I guess in my strategy, it really wasn't a lot of rooms for mistakes because it was really simple. If I would live in the property, then, you know, other people would want to live in the property. Most single mothers, if I felt safe, they would feel safe. So just get it and then just try to, you know, work through and get it um, livable as soon as possible. So, but the mistakes were definitely with my networking contractors and stuff like that, because I had no one to talk to about it, to ask for advice. And even in 2009, Facebook and stuff was just getting started. So that wasn't a big resource for me. Like you, even bigger pockets that it was so hard to find blogs and, you know, podcasts. So I'm so grateful for podcasts now. And hopefully these yeah. kind of podcasts help investors from making a ton of mistakes like we did in the past. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wouldn't beat yourself up too much. Most, most I'd say 9.9 .9 people would in the right. And, and, I, and I mean this as a compliment, 9.9 <laughs> .9 of those people are not going to be like, yo, I'm making 20 grand a year. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy a house. Like <laughs> most people would just stick with the status quo of renting and being stuck where they are. But I love the way you think, girl, I need to go up to Detroit. That's only two hours. Because my thought when you told that story was like, oh my gosh, if I had the, the assets and the, the connections that I have now and the capital that I have now, I would, I would have bought, a thousand homes in, in Detroit right. uh, at, at that price. So yeah, I get it. I get it. But that's, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know anybody that hasn't capitalized or made mistakes in the past. And same thing with us. The story I told, our first property was 20 units. Um, and we had a contractor walk off with just under or just over a hundred grand worth of supplies and, and capital. Yeah. And it was just us being too trusting and and mm -hmm. not involved enough so well good for you if that's the worst mistake you made then then you're you're a lot better off than my brother and i <laughs> but actually i think you brought a really good point about contractors because i think that is the number one fear of most people trying to enter this this real estate investing industry is like they don't know what they don't know so sometimes they rely completely on these contracts so do you have any advice on how people can vet contractors how they can figure out or look for any red flags, what sort of advice do you have that, you know, listeners can just tactically implement and how they, they look at contractors and talk to contractors so they don't get ripped yes. off? 
Yes, absolutely. And that's a great question. Thank you for that. So what I would say is to be honest, I can give you a list of 100 red flags and there'll still be a couple that you miss and you find yourself in the same situation. I wouldn't say like everybody should expect to get ripped off. But what I do now is I don't really worry about getting ripped off. I just make sure that I have a copy of their driver's license. So I have an address mm. and a contract that clearly outlines the terms. And now I'm not chasing anybody if they run off. I'm just suing because I have their address, their physical address where I can serve them and I have the contract. So you're just so I can sue this guy if he does. Um in a in a humorous way. Obviously I want the relationship to to yes. to be well and stuff, but that's I feel like instead of focusing on the small stuff, because we might say, hey, let me see your references. Let me go to two or three properties. And of course, they're going to show you the two or three properties that are the best. They're going to give you the best rep um, references, maybe their family member. We don't know if this stuff is real. And we're going to trust them based on that. Like, oh, wow, they got great references. And if they screw them over, you're like, wow, I didn't even sign a contract or I didn't even get a, his address because I was so enamored by the story he was telling me or about what I was seeing, you know? So it's like smoke and mirrors with me. When everybody's looking left, I'm looking right, you know? And that's just how it's been in my whole journey in every aspect of my life. So I feel like that would be the best way instead of stressing out about how to avoid contractors screwing you over. Um, make sure you just know exactly how to sue them and build your case up in the background. I <laughs> and love I that advice. That on podcast, so thanks for asking that question. Oh um, my God, Ashley. That was incredible. I'm, I'm, driving, I'm getting in the car uh, tomorrow morning. I'm driving up to D-Town because Kent, she said she'd go after the wife. <laughs> I could just go, do you know that your man tried to rip me off? <laughs> and then the wife's right, like, oh, these, I'll this. Yes, because the con they're smart. So they'll have a wife and put all the assets in their name, the home, the car. Yeah. They don't own anything. Yeah. So if you do sue them, they're like, you can't get anything. And I'm like, you think I can't? But you remember, your wife has it, and she's your wife, and now, yeah. So my, me and my lawyer, we we have some tactics that we go under. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so That's much amazing. for that advice, because everyone has told me um, you should go to Home Depot, sit outside, and you know vet your contractors, because the first person that shows us can say, "I'm inspired the best contractors." And I thought the same things right. that you did. They're always going to show me <gasps> the best house that they're talking about. So that is great advice, and that also eliminates the fear for some of the newbies listening to this right now. Yes. Like newbies, if you're if you're listening to this, like stop worrying about everything. Listen to what Ashley's advice just gave you. Sure, still vet them as for referrals, but take that, eliminate that fear out, and learn how to actually serve someone a or sue someone sue, yes. if they yeah. actually walk off your job. So, um, Ashley, that's great advice. I also want to transition the conversation a little bit into you know we talk a lot about affordable housing, and you and I both know the stigma associated with affordable housing. Section A, it's like gangs, drugs, drama. Mm -hmm. Can you help us bust that myth or some sort or some sort of way? Like, can you tell us a little bit about your tenants? Like, who are they? And do you actually see a lot of these problems that people like talk about a lot on mainstream media? Yeah, absolutely not. So what a lot of people don't talk about is because absolutely that happens. But those are people that are not compliant with the program. Section 8 has the strictest rule on drugs. And it's so easy to remove the, the people if you do find these things. So those are just people that are breaking the program rules. They're not people that are actually abiding by the rules. And that's what I do when I do my screening. I want to know, have you, is this your first time using your voucher or have you, this your second time? How does that go? Um, and how has things been that way? The biggest thing that I see here is um, just people like moving extra people in randomly. There's yeah. a guy there now that was not supposed to be there or sometimes they'll get a pet. Um, but I can tell you guys and I'm going to give you guys all of my free gems. So make sure you like and subscribe. OK, and follow me, too, because you guys are getting the free the free gems here. But um, so in all of my affordable housing, um, I include landscape in, in the um, in the rent. Right. So we cut your grass. We don't remove the snow. You can do that. We cut your grass. However, my dad and I, I'm a part owner of his landscaping company. So I bought all the material. He runs the company. So he's cutting the grass. Uh, it's going into my dad's business. But he's also sending me a report. Do you see dogs? Do you see extra people? Are they playing loud music? Is it a lot of trash left over? So it's a way that I'm not having to inspect my properties and I'm getting a, a, um, a first eye view over what's really going on every two weeks. You know, and then also each property I have, I have a trusted neighbor that I can call and stuff like that because I want to be an asset to the neighborhood and I want to let them know, hey, this is affordable housing. 
um, you know, and I want to, I w- but I want to make it a win for everyone. So if for some reason they're giving you a problem, just let me know and I'll make sure I relocate them. So the relationships that I have with my neighbors, along with getting the landscaping, I'm really able to pick up early on if somebody are doing these problems, like, you know, trash in a place, doing gang violence and drugs. But if I do experience that, a quick letter to them, letting them know that I'm going to report it to Section 8, 90% of the time they stop because they don't want to lose their voucher. So honestly, I like it, but I kind of feel unfair doing that because it's like you have like a parent or something that you can tell on them if they're being bad versus if you get a cash bank tenant in there and they bring in drugs or gains, you're stuck. Right. Like you still, you still have to deal with it. So there are stigmas, but you, I don't want you guys to attach that with affordable housing. I've clearly had tenants that work at the big three. So in Detroit, our typical tenants are uh, Chrysler, Ford, the automotive industry plants, or like nursing. So I've had people that are making $60,000, $80,000 a year at an auto plant that is just the worst and trash your place. You know, So again, you guys have to look outside the box and everything that you invest in is going to have ups and downs. But what you have to realize, and if this pandemic didn't teach you anything, is that everybody who was renting to affordable houses got their rent for the whole year and a half that the memorandum was was down. So the guaranteed rent is worth the risk. But you as a person, you have to use your brain and don't just say, because I'm getting guaranteed rent, I'm not going to screen, right? Still do your screening, still make sure they're compliant. They've been on the program for a while. They value the voucher and you're going to get someone that wants to stay in your place forever pretty much because a lot of them don't like to move and it'll just be a great experience um yeah so that would be the advice to you like a lot of people they'll say i want to do affordable housing the income is great but you don't want to i guess you're you have to know what your underlining um the reasoning is right so me personally it's like giving back because i want to always be better than what i had so it's not about the money it's just an added bonus So because I think of it that way, when they call me, I'm not thinking, oh, they're just tearing up my house. I want to fix it, right? Because it's adding value. So I feel like just changing your mindset to realize that you're you're getting paid, but you're still doing something good. I feel like you'll be more much more successful than sweating the small stuff. (laughs) That that is probably the best. Can't just cut that whole clip and just run that on a loop. Like because that's that's now that's gold actually like everything you just said that's why i was doing the dance and the flashing <laughs> lights i almost just stood up i was just gonna be like all right i'm done like because <laughs> my you, job you don't need, yeah you don't need me in here anymore because that's that i literally just said that exact same uh paragraph or a couple of minutes of verbiage to uh, a soccer dad who was standing next to me and he says you're in real estate right and i said yeah and I, I told him, actually, I had my uh, sweatshirt on and I said, you know, it's affordable housing, da, 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 da. And he was like, oh, you have to deal with all those headaches. And I kind of looked at him and let him go, let him go, let him go. And then I told him exactly what you're saying, like 50 percent at one point, over 50 percent of our tenants were Section 8. They were our best tenants. They, they were our best tenants. It was the open market tenants that would destroy things. And and when COVID hit my colleagues, some of them were losing their minds and my brother and I could sit back and have a drink and be like, well, guess what? We know 50, 60% of our uh, rents are, are going to come in on the, the first of the month. And uh, no, and exactly the little nuances, like you said, uh, it's your dad that, that mows the lawn and we, we have property managers that do that, but they look for that. They look for if, if uh, the blinds and the windows are, are bent or cracked, that's a red light. Like there's something bad going on in there. It may, it may have just been a kid that threw a ball or a, a stuffed animal against the window, but little nuances like that that you pick up on for sure. We A lot of times we'll have a tenant in one of our properties that will give a, a little bit of a reduced rent to, um, but they're the watchdogs. They're the, yeah. they're usually the the little old lady who's lived there for 25 years and wants to protect her house, protect her her neighborhood, and so she does not hesitate to 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 pick up a phone and and tattletale on on somebody for <laughs> sure. Um, so much gold in that uh, everything you just said, and and I hope I hope I hope um, two things. Everybody listens to that and reconsiders affordable housing because there is a right way to do it and do it well 
make money for you and your family, but also provide, you know, we say it all the time, <clears throat> you provide dignity to the people that are living there. Um, now, if they stomp all over it, then guess what? They got to go. And I, I have no, I have no remorse for that, especially when you provide the quality of housing that you do, that we do. Um, just treat it with respect and, and we're golden. So good for you. The, the second thing is if, if there are anybody listening to this where they're in a neighborhood where homes are $6,000, hit up Ashley, hit up me, hit up Kent, and we'll, we'll start buying those up and we'll, we'll, we'll structure a great deal for all of you. <laughs> um, yes, everything you sure. said there was gold, Ashley, like what, um, if I was a new investor and wanted to kind of ride your coattails or, or just be a mentee, you know, uh, uh, from you and, and learn from you, what, what would you recommend? What's the, what are the one or two most important things? What would you prioritize or what would you stress to me? Would it be reading books, listening to Kent's podcast? Would it be just jumping in and, and getting started? What, what, what are your one, one or two top recommendations for people? Absolutely. So I strongly do believe in reading books and listening to podcasts, um, but that would be like secondary because in the world that we live in now, which is ever changing, you have access to you have access to me. Like you can message me. Yeah. So it's not like you know the how hard it was before. So number one, I would say you probably want to list. I would say invest about five to ten hours listening to podcasts so you can figure out exactly what you want to do. But once you know what you want to do, you don't know how to put you don't have to know how to put the pieces together. But now I would say the most important thing is find somebody that's actually doing what you want to do. So, again, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see me in my properties every day. So it's not like I'm just now I'm not just posting pictures in my Lamborghini like, oh, you, your tenants pay for this or you pay for that. You know, no offense to anybody who does that, but I'm actually showing the work that I'm doing. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to make sure it was lagging a little bit. Let me know if you can hear me. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Sorry. Okay, yeah, pretty good. And yeah, so um, yeah, so I actually show what I'm doing and I have receipts. So I feel like that would be the best way to start is find somebody that's doing what you're doing. And then, hey, DM me. Do you offer coaching? Do you alter mentorship? And that's going to be the quickest way because you're going to weed out all the fluff. You're going to get all the mistakes that I've done and get straight to the source. Now, five, 10 years ago, you couldn't do that. So you all definitely want to take advantage of how accessible these experts are. And again, if they're really doing it, um, I've never met somebody in affordable housing or just successful in, in, in their own right and not want to give back. Because once you experience true success and you realize that you can do this open and honestly, you don't have to take advantage of people like I want to give back in any way, shape or form that I can. So that would be the number one way. Just get directly to the source. And, and dive in because we're in the information uh, phase and we just have so much access so quickly. So that would be number one. Uh, well, the two things, get crystal clear on what you want to do and then find somebody that's actually doing it that you can see receipts and reach out and try to work with them. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go, Ashley. And that's why I DM'd you to get you onto the podcast. <laughs> that's why I'm driving I, I up you're... to the D tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's why for people listening, like you might have listened to Ashley's story and just like myself, you might have become inspired and you say, you know what, this is exactly what I want to do now. It's not about the money. It's about providing a quality, safe, clean home for a lot of people in this world that needs it so that you can provide a stable home for kids to grow up in so that they have an equal opportunity to become successful and thrive in their lives. And I think that's what you really have to do when you're listening to this podcast is like, we talk about affordable housing. We also talk about different aspects of real estate investing onto this podcast, but they're here to show you that there are a, there's like a menu of options for you to pick from that you can select from and you can order from so that you can decide what you want to do. And if you're inspired by Ashley's story, then I was challenge you guys to all, reach out to Ashley and see how she became successful and then really understand the ins and outs so that she could be real with you on the issues that you're going to face because you're going to be able to learn from Ashley's mistakes. And that's going to cut down your learning curve by like three, five, 10 years, maybe. And that's so, so valuable. That's more, that's more than any monetary value that you can, than I can personally assign to it. So Ashley, you, yeah. you shared so many gems already. Uh, what other like tactical tips do you have uh, that allows you, that you think you can uh, help 
our newbie listeners listening to and implement into their their properties today? Like you talked about these light up faucets. Did I catch them correctly? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, what kind of tips and tricks can you share with us on how you can make your units kind of stand out so you can attract the best quality tenants? Yes, absolutely. And then I also wanted to piggyback a little bit off of what we had just talked about, because if definitely you can reach out to me, DM me, I'm so accessible, but I'm going to be a person that's going to really make you realize that there's no excuse and you can do it. You just have to sacrifice. Right. So again, a lot of people may listen to this podcast and say, and I, and I found myself doing this early on too, like, oh, I'm never going to be able to invest in real estate because I can never homes today don't sell for $6,300. So I might as well, I can't do it. Right. I'm a waitress. I only make 20,000 homes don't sell for 6,300. So I wanted to break down really quick for your audience, how you can actually get a property today for $5,000. Right. So you don't even have to, you can get it cheaper. And obviously you're going to use some leverage, but I really wanted to give this to your listeners that are thinking that they can't do it. And I was just lucky to buy it at 6,300. So in today's market today, as we speak, you can get a property for $300,000, right? And if you take advantage because you're low income, right? Because mm. that's your excuse why you can't start. Because you're low income, you can take advantage of the FHA program that allows you to put 3.5% down. But you want to couple that with a first-time homebuyer grant. And again, these are giving to you. So they're rewarding you because your same excuse of you not making enough, you're actually getting benefits. So those grants typically on average are $10,000. And these are local banks like Bank of America, your local credit union. So a house is $300,000. When you factor in closing costs, you're about 5%, which is $15,000 down payment. Now, if you go to the bank or credit union and you get the first time home buyer grant, they're going to give you an additional $10,000. So your out-of-pocket cost will be $5,000. And that is a tax return, right? So if you're one of those people like me that was super broke, two kids, you probably got a seven dollars to $8,000 tax return, right? Use that, put $5,000 down, couple that with the FHA, and you can get a property in today's world. So those just to debunk all of your theories. Now, obviously, you will have to qualify. And you know that may take, uh, you may be qualified now or it may take six months of credit repair, but where else are you going to get into a property for five grand. So just do the work, right? So that I just really wanted to say that to the audience because a lot of people will comment on the notes like, oh, I can't do it. That was in 2009. Well, I'm under contract for properties all the time. I just bought a property for uh, $8,000 subject to. So again, but that's where it comes to finding people that are doing what you want to do. Because if you come to me, I'm going to debunk all your theories. It's not about the money. So I just wanted to drop that gem for the, the podcast. <laughs> And then I'll go into what I do to attract tenants. So I play with the kids' emotions. And I know I'm like a bad person. <laughs> no, just joking, but in a good way. So I do think so. Um, a regular faucet at Home Depot is like 40 bucks, you know, something that's going to be durable. And to get these LED faucets, they're $60. So $20 more, still at Home Depot. And I just install them. And as soon as I get a family, I run the kids to the bathroom and say, look, guys, put on the water. And it glows up. And they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> so the kids, like, so now when they're when the parents are leaving, looking at other properties, they're nagging their parents like, no, I want to go back to the house with the light up sinks. So that's one of the things I do. And then another thing I do is because I use the Burr method or my reverse flip method that I trademark, um, I... Um, rehab my properties as, as if I'm going to flip them, right? So I do put the granites or the quartz in there, some properties, because even though, again, as an investor, we sell ourselves short by saying, well, this is affordable housing. I'm not going to do nice things. That's true, but you're, disc you're losing appreciation. You're losing a higher appraisal. So if you're using the Burr method or my reverse flip method, you want your, I'm renovating my properties for the appraisal, not for the tenants, right? I know it's an added bonus to the tenant because they're going to mm -hmm. win because they have granite and light up sinks, but I'm trying to get my appraisal high. So as investors, and I'm really just giving you guys like a gym coaching session. And this is because I really appreciate Kent and the value and also Dane. They have provided value for me and I want to make sure that I make this one of the best podcasts ever. But you guys, you're the, the things that you're doing and the stigmas that you're following that, oh, it's affordable housing. So I'm not going to put nice things in there. You're really self-sabotaging yourself because if you need to refinance out or if you want to do a HELOC and get an equity line so you can get your next deal, 
you've already lost a lot of that opportunity because you went with the lowest grade fixtures. So again, you have to think of this. This is your, like my properties are my, my kids, right? These aren't like, I don't look at them like, oh, the tenant's going to trash them. They're going to, okay, that's no problem. I'll fix them up and then they'll move out because when they leave, it's still my property, right? When the tenants leave. So we have to program our mind to think this is my house. I'm going to open it up for other people. If they tear it up, yeah, I'll make sure I get a security deposit. I'll make sure I know exactly how to sue them, right? To recoup my investment, but it's mine. So again, we do things that self-sabotage ourselves. So that's my philosophy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to fix my property up so that I impress the appraisers and get the highest value. And then I'm going to also attract the best tenants because they're going to uh, see those things and fight over it. I can charge a higher rent. And then I can get a home equity line or burr out so that I can buy my next property. So don't self-sabotage. <laughs> That's great. I love the LED faucet thing. I, I've not seen that, but I've seen the LED toilet. And maybe I need to install that. I've got three teenage boys. They keep missing the toilet. Maybe I put a light in that. Would that maybe that will help. <laughs> yes, and that will also help you with, with the, your cleaning bill, too. <laughs> the right. LED toilet. <laughs> Yeah. And the funniest thing ever, like I've always like the kids normally go crazy. But the other day I was doing a showing and the dad was like, oh, we're getting this. The dad was like more excited yeah. than the kids. And I'm like, oh, the dad's like this too. But yeah, it was just so funny that a grown up was like really excited about the sinks. But yeah, and it's, yeah. I've never seen an LED toilet, but it's like the $20 more that I spend is just yeah. the biggest return on investment for sure. And it's so little, it's 20 extra dollars, you know? So just getting in that mindset of not shortchanging yourself because if you're thinking, oh, it's just section eight, they're going to tear it up. You're really losing a lot because it's still your property. Yeah. yeah it's, it's amazing. Something like that. It's an extra 20 bucks, but it's a, it's a differentiator. Yeah. You've got the granite and the quartz and which is amazing yeah. also. Yeah. But little, little nuances, like I, we've done like even like little rope lighting, uh, you know, uh, rope lighting under uh, cabinetry and, and things like that, that is operational, you know, obviously with a switch or your phone, like little cool uh, nuances like that. It's a differentiator, but also makes it feel more homey too. Hey, eh? this is my house. You guys don't have rope lighting under your, your cabinets or you know, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Look at my faucet. And that that gives yeah. uh, you know some dignity and a sense of pride too. And and for you, it's it's money, money, well, well, well worth or well spent, I guess. So yeah, um, and I love that you're you're saying that because I say like I play with their emotions. I give them the shiny object, but really it's giving them yeah. pride and dignity, right? Yeah. So I should probably stop saying yeah. that. But also, it's just so sweet on how many benefits you get. So just like Dane said, they have pride and dignity. Now they want to take care of it and respect it because they see <clears throat> you've done it. You're the only one right. in the neighborhood that's doing it. But you know, a third bonus, I very rarely even have to list my properties because every time someone has a, a barbecue or a birthday, all their cousins are calling me. Oh my God, your next house, please tell me. So <laughs> I can tell like anytime my tenant has a function because all of their relatives are calling me wanting my next property, you know? So again, yep. it, it trickles down and feeds so much. And we, a lot of investors miss it by the stigma. They're going to tear it up anyway. So look how much you're missing. You're missing out on the pride and dignity. Like Dane said, people that actually like your house and want to stay in your house because they, they have pride in it, right? They see the work that you put into it. So they're going to respect it. You have less tenant turnovers, which as Dane and, you know, we know tenant turnovers kill cash flow. And yep. you're getting an influx of referrals because everybody that comes there, they want to know when you get a next house, can they move in, right? So it saves you on your marketing, times on the market. So a lot of stuff that we do, we self-sabotage ourselves and we don't recognize. And that's why it's so great to talk, watch podcasts like this and reach out to investors that's actually doing it because you're going to get so many nuggets for sure. Yeah. And little things like that, you can pick up on, on just what it's called. I, what, there's an app, but also the website house, H-O-U-Z-Z. -Z. Uh, I love that because that's how, you know, when I was finishing my basement, you can get all sorts of ideas. But house has all sorts of like, obviously, some of the homes are $15 million homes. But you may look at a $15 million home and say, oh, that faucet lights up. Oh, that is so cool. I can I can put that into one of my Section A homes. Just, you know, it, it's creativity. It's kind of limitless, but you, you you just have to kind of shop around and look for for cool ideas like that, for sure. I love that. I love it. 
and we had kind of the same thing just by fixing up our first 20 units um, and, you know, making them nice. Like what you're saying, we didn't do the light up faucets, but we, we grossly up updated everything all of a sudden, like you said, Oh, my sister needs an apartment. When yes. is this one next to me going to, I, I heard she may be moving out because we want that. We'll take it. And I think we had two, four, I think we had three, three townhomes that were duplexes side by side by side that were all taken up by families, families. grandma, yeah. mom, you know, brother, sister, like, and it was cool. They, they, they took better care of them than I probably would have when I lived in, if I was in a, an apartment and, uh, we didn't even have to list them. And it was, it's just wow, to, go to show you. Yeah. If you take care of the tenants, um, they'll take care of you. And it, and it's, it's a really cool thing. I kind of, we talked about, we got Christmas cards from that community um, <laughs> saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it was, wow. you know, yeah. And, and they I think stay longer. I yeah, and I, I had to emphasize that point exactly, Ashley, because we talk about vacancy expenses. Look at what Dayton had in his. Like when you have a family that has three units next they're to side by side, do you think they're ever going to leave? No way. Right. No way. Right. When people right. underwrite, you have like three, five, eight percent vacancy expenses. You can now update okay. your underwriting or how you analyze these properties and reduce your vacancy expense because you are implementing all these gems that Ashley and Dane just talked about. Like, don't discount. This is actually real money, real bottom line money. Just like they say, it's not about how much you make. It's about how much you keep. Um, and actually, I, I would be amiss if I didn't ask this question. Like, we talked about tactical advice. How do you screen your tenants? Like, what types of advice or tips or tricks that you you can provide to our listeners on how do you screen tenants? Because you just talked about how a lot of these people are getting referrals now from, like, family members. But when you first started, like, what mistake did you make screening tenants like what should you have done or you didn't do that you think you can um, pass on that wisdom to our listeners today so that they don't invite problems or drama into their home absolutely so at first i was doing it all manually so i definitely recommend doing like using a software like rent ready or something like that that can do the background checks um in the beginning my biggest mistake was assuming the more money they made that they were going to pay and take care of the property and now when people leave with money i'm like oh you're probably not going to get approved like because they showing like well i make the money you know i'm going to pay and those are the people who don't pay typically. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's crazy. And I'm not gonna say all the time, but yes, the more money they make, those are sometimes the, the worst tenants. Um, but yeah, so I require, um, I'm not as strict on the credit score because I feel like if you're uh, making three times the rent and income, you have the perfect credit score, you're making all this money, like you're gonna just buy a house and eventually move out. And then you wouldn't care if you had an eviction on your record because you're gonna be an owner, right? So I am leaning on the credit score. I wanna see, my biggest number one requirement is talking to your previous landlord. Now that yeah. is, you, I have tricks and traits that I can find out your real landlord because they might give you a fake one, but that's the biggest referral. And that's my biggest requirement: getting honest, open feedback from your landlord on what kind of tenant they were. Um, I personally, I will ride past the property if it's like local or do a Google street view. And you'll be surprised that tenants I was about to, you know, accept. And it's just her and her 18 year old daughter. And I ride past and they have, three bicycles and like children's toys all out. Or I see a big hole that the dog has dug in the yard, right? So doing a street view or physically riding past is, is something that I do. And if you're not, if you don't have the capability of doing that, check out the Facebook. Women, I know we're guilty of the, the ultimate mirrored selfie, but what we uh, don't realize uh, is that the mirror, uh, you're getting that background. So you're going to see like if the walls are soiled or if it's trash or toys or clothing thrown everywhere so i do stalk their their social and this is like obviously when i'm like 99 they're accepted i'm not gonna just because then i might be a creep or something just stalking everybody's yeah. social media but no like this is like the the final thing is the, the physical ride pass or the social media stalk and that's going to kind of tell the picture um of, of these tenants and again um when it's section eight i do know like elise is more stable it's more guaranteed so i can be a little lenient on those things but and just also lay down the law what i expect at my properties but those are some tactics that i can tell you like on how to kind of weed out some people <laughs> 
but I didn't know people gave you so many fake landlord uh, referrals. How how do you pick apart those oh things? Like one I or two tricks. This is the million dollar secret I've never told anybody. But well, I, I would just say this, and this is like, uh, I'm a licensed agent, right? So Got I can it. go on the MLS and look up who the real owner is. So that mm -hmm. is like really the trick. Or if you're not a licensed agent, you can call the an agent. You know, you want to have a build a relationship. Maybe take them out to coffee so you're not just calling them, asking them, mm -hmm. but that's how. So, for example, you'll get an application and they'll say their their landlord is Nicole Brown or something like that. And you're like, OK, and then you go look on the MLS and it's different. So you, before you just deny them, you want to say, do you have is this your real owner? Is it a property management company that's on the application? So now I got them. So if they say, oh, well, the home is in somebody else's name because it's the management company. Well, you already checked off that it's direct to the owner, you know, um, so it is subjective, but that's typically one way. And it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. That is great. Uh, ugly guys like I don't like me don't post uh, selfies <laughs> on, on uh, social media, so I, I don't have to worry about that. Uh, last question for me, because I know you're busy uh, stalking people online. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I think Kent just started this, the, the big one. And it's a uh, question we're going to start uh, asking, you know, all, all guests so that we can help kind of collect the pieces of the puzzle and, and maybe solve or, or do our part in solving the affordable housing crisis. But you know, why, why do you think affordable housing is so hard to solve? Why, why are we where we're at, where, you know, Columbus, Ohio has something like 60 some thousand vouchers with no place for, for people to go. Why do you think we're there? Number one. And then what would be one or two uh, things that you would do if you could roll something out, maybe let's say nationwide to, to fix the problem uh, across the country, what, what would be one or two things to, to, to solve? Okay. Yes. Great, great questions. And I definitely have to, to get something creative, but number one, I feel like the reason why it's such a big problem is because the people that makes the laws and programs or that's in charge of actually creating it and submitting vouchers, they, I, I feel like they never probably lived in affordable housing, right? Some of our lawmakers. So it's hard to identify some of the struggles if you're not <clears throat> technically from there. And I'm not going to say everybody is, but clearly whoever's making the decision, they're not, um, they don't have real life experience because if you are a landlord of affordable housing, you'll get it. Or if you've ever lived in there, you would get it. Like, cause like we, uh, Kent and I was talking about like, my mom wasn't a bad person, you know, she just was low income. So there are good people on the program. So that's number one. Uh, number two, I feel like um, how we can combat that or kind of like um, add to it is like having more podcasts and things like, like what Ken is doing that's dedicated. So bringing it more into mainstream, like highlighting the stories of people that are successfully doing it. Right. And again, it's not money motivated, but I was just telling Ken, I really wanted to make sure I talked about this was so, um, you know, obviously with COVID and all that stuff, the rents are increasing. So um, not to brag or anything, but I, I was making about 25 grand a month in cash flow. And just without even doing anything with Section 8 doing their increases because the rents were increasing in the neighborhoods, I was able to increase that to almost $40,000 and wow. without changing a month without changing tenants. And that's because these people were on a voucher that were paying $950, but now homes in the area are $1,500. So I can go back and submit and say, and they'll ask for proof, right? They want to make sure you're being reasonable, but I submitted three proofs. And that's part of being a good landlord, guys, and a good investor, right? We have to start taking things serious. Like when they, they implemented eviction memorandums, most people were crying, oh my God, I'm not going to get rent. No, go out and figure out what programs are helping people, help them sign up and go get some aid, right? Don't just crawl over, go out and do it. So instead of so that's what I did during COVID for my non-Section 8 people. I got them access to government services and the Sarah program and the rent program. And we went through the process. So again, with uh, Section 8, once I realized that, hey, I'm renting out homes in this area for $1,500 a month. My Section 8 tenant is paying $950. I don't want to displace her. Let me reach out to the agencies. And they were like, yeah, we do a rent reasonable study. So send us three properties in the area that are you know similar. And they approved them all. They approve them also from 900 to 1500 without changing tenants a month. Like it's big. So I don't want you guys to be motivated by the money, but 
be motivated by the money, right? Don't be a bad person, right? Because I, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm doing the good work and I'm helping people. Like, like Dane said, I'm providing safe, clean, affordable housing where most people would just try to throw them in the slums. But at the same time, I'm just, I'm paid for it, right? I'm compensated for it. So it's, it's good money. Again, I don't want to be motivated by the money. That's why I normally don't share the numbers, but think about going from 25K a month to 41K without really doing anything, but submitting a couple studies in your area, you know, that's just it. So that's just, that's some things I feel like just getting more people highlighting more stories of people that's doing it the right way, like on podcasts and platforms like this one is where mm. we're going to start. And that's going to pique the interest of new investors or other people that had stigmas of affordable housing. And then maybe even some of the lawmakers will, you know, hear these. Cause I mean, I've been reached out. You, you don't, you never know who's watching your content, right? I've been messaged by people that are in high places and they appreciate it. So people are watching and it's just people like Canon podcasts and spaces like this that shed light that can get more people interested in it. So hopefully that that answered because that was the that was a new one. I never heard of that. And it was a really great question. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, that's almost verbatim what I've been telling people too. Most people don't build affordable housing. I I I know I mean I'm I know you can do it, but um it's not the sexy thing to do and it's not what makes the big bucks for developers. And then there are people like myself and Kent that, you know, we want to be involved and in, in help in affordable housing. Well, you know, some of it's a heavy lift. We it's a 1940s brick building, you know, and, and we're having to reline sewers. We're having to redo roofs and foundations because that's what's left. That's what's left over. And, and I think you hit the nail on the on the head, too. Uh, most people don't know affordable housing. They're not incentivized to legislatively address um, affordable housing uh, without getting, I'm not a politician by any means, but I, you know, <laughs> I'm not Republican or Democrat. I, I, I'm a person. And, and right. I think if you're a person, uh, if you walk through some of the properties that I've walked through and then bought, uh, if you have a soul, you're like, okay, we got to, we got to do something here. This is, this is ridiculous. So no, I, I, that was great. That was great. Oh, Ashley. And I'm, and I'm, I just want to thank you for, for that answer. It's so heartwarming to see people appreciate us bring to light the stuff. Right. I, I kind of use analogy of like, you know, when, when there was a lot of drunk driving back in the day, it was like, you know, mom's against drunk driving. This is what I'm hoping is the first step of spreading awareness about this, not only for the good we can do with affordable housing, which you have been an amazing role model for Ashley, but you have also given and opened the doors and been so transparent with our listeners that, Hey, you can make money on this stuff. And I think that's yeah. sometimes a missing element that people need to be incentivized. You know, we're not naive. You do need to be incentivized to take actions and yeah. put food on your table. And I can't thank you enough for kind of coming onto the show, being so open with the gems that you've shared and being so open with the numbers that you're able to kind of generate as a real estate investor and doing good at the same time. So man, <clears> Ashley, <throat> I, I'm, Dan and I are so blessed to kind of have you on the show. Like wh what's next for you, Ashley? Like, it seems like you are on top of the world right now. And like, you've had this life changing effects on people, inspired millions of people, including myself. What's next for you? What are you working on nowadays? Yes, I'm I gonna appreciate it. She's going to invest. She's going to invest with me. We're going to work together. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, so I actually I actually have that on my list to talk to the, uh, Dane about some stuff. So right now I'm um I'm I just under contract for my first apartment building. So that's where it's at yet. So that so I'm really excited about that. And um, I was just going to ask you if you had considered that the single family houses are great, but there's power in numbers too. You can do so much more good if you have 20 units under one roof. That's great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, so that's what's next. Um, like I'm in a, I, I want to take a break. I know, but it's it's kind of hard to. But uh, so my kids, um, my my daughter's in college. Uh, and by the way, first generation college student. My mom had eight kids. My mom never went to college. My dad never went to college. None of her eight kids went to college. None of the three or four grandkids before my daughter. My daughter's a first generation uh, college student, and I'm so proud to be alive and young and be able to say I've broken 
my first of many generational curses, right? So that's super excited. And on top of that, my son is right behind her. So he's a senior. He's been accepted into college. So they'll both be in college next year which is scary, but also I'm like, wow, I'm going to be super young and rich and in and, and, and an empty nester, right? So I yeah. feel like I am going to do, I feel like there's going to be a big change. I, I don't really know exactly what it will be, but right now I'm focusing on the apartment building, getting that stabilized uh, because that's going to submit our family wealth because it has six storefronts on it. So they, yep, that's the plan. The kids are going to work in there. So that's the plan. And then also my nonprofit. So, and really quickly, I know we've been on for a while, but um, the nonprofit. So I always, my philosophy, and this is where I feel like our government has it wrong. Um, I'm, my philosophy is I don't want to, I don't want to give anybody any fish. I want to teach them how to fish, right? You give a fish, they eat for a day. You teach them how the fish, they eat forever. So my nonprofit is for affordable housing and home ownership. But before we, and that's the end goal, they'll graduate and we'll pay their down payment or give them a property. But I want to teach them the mindset about financial literacy, about how to manage a, a, a bank account. Sorry, I was going to say manage a checkbook, but that's when we don't probably have those. We won't probably have those in a couple of years. But how to protect your credit. Why is it important to protect your credit, right? Because again, I is just as much as I have a lot of great tenants on Section 8, I see a lot of people lose their vouchers. And this is a $500,000 voucher if you consider you living on the program for 10 years, paying $1,000 a month. So that you have, but they're losing that voucher because they don't respect the program or they, they're going to let family move in or they're going to bring drugs into the mm -hmm. home. So I really want to use my nonprofit and try to do like motivational speaking or talk to as many people that I can that receive affordable housing to let them know one, this isn't the end all be all. Just because you start here, you don't have to end here, but protect it, respect it, and give them the um, skills that they need to be successful financially, and then give them the home ownership opportunities. So um, I really, um, I'm a one woman show, unfortunately. Um, I love people. I have a, a lot of great friends that I've met um, traveling and just meeting great people like you, but um, just where I'm at locally, nobody's really passionate about this yet, even though they see the benefits. So I, so that's always my struggle, just trying to find people that's willing to help that's done it because I, I don't just have like my neighbor or my family or, you know, nobody in my family is uh, doing this stuff. So it is a little hard when you are changing your life and nobody else around you is. But again, because we have social media now and conferences, like I met probably a thousand people in two months, I went to three conferences. So um, yeah, but that's what's next for me right now. And who knows, like once the kids go to college, you never know, like what's going to happen. You'll be, you'll be evicted out of your house from partying too much. Once the kids are right. gone, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be, yeah, I'm going to be the, the, the bad tenant. <laughs> the, the, Ashley, the I can already story. tell you. <laughs> true story. Uh, my in-laws, God bless them. Uh, <laughs> teetotalers, you know, I, I grew up in a, a household where there was always, you know, beer and wine or whatever, but uh, that <laughs> never was the case at their house. Once their baby moved out, my wife and I came in like that, that first weekend that they were, you know, uh, empty nesters and they were <laughs> broken test tubes in the uh, driveway, shot glasses floating in the swimming pool, empty beer. I thought, Oh my God. And it, and that happened, that continued for about a, I don't know, six months to a year. I was just like, oh, this is great. <laughs> that's what I, yeah, I think that's going to be me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, Ashley, like, oh, I'm so excited. And I, you are the yeah. reason I'm, I would love to enter to the Detroit market. Hands down, no yeah. hesitation. After meeting you, after talking to you having someone with that much local knowledge, not only about the market, but also about the program and knowing that you are a genuine kind person. Well, it's just, that's, what's going to define success. Sometimes people always think about like, which market should I choose? You guys should choose the market where, you know, you have the all-star team at that's, that's exactly how I would pick my team and pick my market and pick my investment. It's sometimes it's a team and the people that helps you become successful in your investment. And Ashley, yeah is the go-to person in Detroit, hands down, no doubt. Well, um, you, actually, you hey, what, one thing, where, where can people, people find out? Win Go ahead. People, I'm sorry, you win with people, and, and Ashley is one of those people where 
it's the motivation. She's going to get the work done. You, you could almost just say, go do this. And she's, she's going to figure out and kick ass at it. Ash, you're, you're, you're amazing, Ashley. I, this has been one of the more enjoyable hour whatever uh, that I've spent for sure. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> Ashley, where can people like reach out to you? Where can they find out more about you? Absolutely. And I forgot, I was like, oh man, the people are probably like, how do I tell Sarah when we're telling everybody? And I forgot to mention it. But yes, for sure, the easiest and quickest way is Instagram, Detroit underscore investor. If you Google Ashley Hamilton Real Estate, a ton of stuff would come up, but that's the quickest and easiest. Um, I do have a website, Ashley Hamilton Consults.com. I'm sure Kent will put it in the notes, but easiest, quickest Instagram for sure. For sure. Well, Ashley, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Uh, we certainly hope you would be willing to come back onto the show again someday to talk about the next venture because we have this big passion for affordable housing that I just think we can't contain ourselves. So I can't wait to have you back onto the show. So thank you very much. I hope uh, we'll get you back on the show soon, but thank you so much for coming onto the show again. We really appreciate it. You're more than welcome. Thank you so much for having me.